0: If you have your Bible, get it open to Matthew chapter three. We're going to be there in just a little bit. But uh, a few weeks ago, my wife and I and their kids, we were watching Netflix and we got onto hoarders. Now, if anybody's ever seen the show hoarders, there's a formula that goes on. Basically, you find these people who hoard things and you go inside their house. It's a mess, right? And so we work with them to try to get all the stuff out of their house. But we know that we're going to encounter roadblocks along the way. Now in this particular episode, what had happened is this woman, she was traumatized as a as a child and she had all these issues and all this baggage that she carried, carried with her. And it was um, actualized or materialized by this hoarding addiction that she had. She couldn't control her childhood so she controlled what she kept. And that hoarding kept on throughout her whole life. Until the point where they could not even get through their hallways. I mean, you've seen it before if you've ever seen the show. But here's what's interesting. They, they go on with the show, and they start to clear things out, and it seems like they're making really great progress. And at the end, it looks like she's going to go to therapy. She's going to clear up not only the mess in her house, but she's going to clear up the mess of the trauma that she had. And then they do the after episode, the, the six weeks later, and they're not allowed on the property. They're not allowed to even come through the front doors. Why is this? Well, because this lady stopped therapy. This lady stopped working toward making things better. You know, here's the thing. It's easier to leave things the way that they are than actually work to make things better. Have you ever noticed that in life? It's easier to leave things the way that they are in order to actually make things better. Today, we're going to be talking about repentance. And the main idea is that repentance is a gift. And it's the first step in transformation. But here's the thing. It's easier to leave our lives just the way we are. We're okay living in the filth. We're okay. We're comfortable with it. It doesn't matter if we have all these sins in our lives. It doesn't matter if our lives are just broken apart. It doesn't matter if we're just um, eking by every single day just trying to make ends meet. Because sometimes it's easier to let, let things be than to actively work to make things better. But that's not what God wants for our lives. God wants us to confess of our wrongs, turn away from them, and find new life in him. God wants us to be transformed from the inside out. So if you have your Bibles, get it open to Matthew chapter 3. And it reads, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is, the, this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. All right, so John's message is a message to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah. Now, the Jewish people have been waiting for the Messiah for hundreds of years, and they knew what the Messiah was going to look like, and so John's saying, get ready, here he comes. Now, what you have to do is you have to turn away from your sin. Turn away from your sin. Turn toward God. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, what is sin? You know, what really is sin? I I don't know if I've ever heard a good definition of sin. So let me explain sin the way that I understand sin, okay? Because um, I'm, I'm not a smart guy. Um, I, I'm a practical guy. I like to have stuff that, you know, fits into my life. You know, I, I like to be able to say – I'm not very, very philosophical. I'll put it that way, all right? So my understanding of sin is this. The greatest commandments in the Bible are, are these – The greatest is, number one, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength. And the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. So these are the things that God wants us to do. If we can do these things, right, these these really awesome things, then God's like, okay, you're you're doing great. Now, the opposite of doing those things, that's sin. All right, what does that look like? Well, sin is separation from God. It's doing things, behaving in such a way where we are separating ourselves from God. So you go down the list of the Ten Commandments. Do you have uh, other gods before the, the one true God? Uh, are you coveting? Are you angry? Are you lying? Are you uh, committing adultery? All these things separate us from God, and they also separate us from our neighbors. So basically, what we have here is sin is anything that separates us from from other people. And here's how sin works, all right? Sin is a very relevant thing for all of us. You might be thinking, well, this is just something they spoke about 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. It doesn't apply to my life at all. That's wrong. Here's how sin works. Sin is something sort of like what we see in hoarders, where we allow just a little bit of filth in our life, and we allow it to pile up. And rather than getting rid of it, we just continue to let it go on and fester because it's easier to let it lie than to actually do something about it. It's easier to just be okay than to actually work to make life better. And you know what? Have you ever been into somebody's house and you kind of sniff around and you're like, what's that smell? What's that smell? I I can't put my nose on it. I can't figure this out. And the person's like, I don't smell anything. Well, it's because they are so used to it that they don't smell it anymore. And that's the way sin works. Sometimes we are so engulfed in our own sin, we don't even see it anymore. And that's why we need other people saying, you know what? you got a problem here. you got an issue. Let me help you. Let me identify this for you so you can acknowledge your own filth. You can smell it too, right? And then we can work on steps to make things better. And really, that's the heart of John's message here. Turn away from your sin. Turn toward God because your life smells. There's filth in your life that you need to get rid of. You need to clear the path. What God wants is a changed heart and a changed mind. And when you do that from the inside out, everything else will radiate from the inside out in your behavior, your attitude, your actions, all this will be transformed. So John's job, John the Baptist, he's out there in the desert and he's saying, prepare the way. Let's make everything ready for God because the Messiah is on his way. So just get this in your mind. There's an image that I want you to get. All right, 2,000 years ago, in John the Baptist's time, if there was a king that was going out, what the king would do was First, he would send out his servants and they would take the same path and they would remove any large branches, any large tree trunks. They would just remove it right from the road. Any rocks, any bumps, they would fill the the bumps, they'd move the rocks. Why are they doing this? Because they want the king to have a road that is prepared. They're going to make sure that the road is safe. They're going to make sure that there's no bandits on it. They're going to make sure that everything is perfect for this king. You know, the same thing is true when the president comes to town. You know, they they bring the president's uh, vehicles and they park them in a base, a military base, and they keep them there for a couple weeks. And then they have all the Secret Service go out and and sweep the area, make sure everything is safe so that the president is safe when that president is here. We understand this, right? And this is what John the Baptist is getting at. Prepare the way because the king of the universe is. Is on his way. Verse four, it says, "John's clothes were made of camel hair, and he had a leather belt that he wore around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey." People went out uh, to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. All right, so hold on just for a second because John the Baptist looks totally different from all the other religious leaders of the day. Now, the other religious leaders of the day, they would have these long flowing robes. And and since they were Jewish, they would, you know, have their their curls and they would have their phylacteries, which are basically these little tassels that they hold right down here by their wayside. And and you would know that they're there because they look better than everyone else. Their robes are clean. They don't look all dirty. They look, you know, clean in the face and all this stuff you know that they're the religious elite when you see them. And then you see John the Baptist. Here's a guy who looks crazy. He's out there in, in camel hair, and he's wearing this leather belt around him. He's eating honey, and he's eating bugs, you know, which is fine for that time, because you, that's what you ate in the desert if you had to live out in the desert. But he just looks different from all the other religious leaders, and that's on purpose, because he wants people to know my message is different. I'm coming here to tell you and to preach about something that is totally different. And that's why people came. Because they were tired of the same old and they wanted to see a change happen in their life and in their world. And so they came out to see John the Baptist. So go now to verse 7 and it says this. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to kill? Flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. All right. Man. Think about this. A, A brood of snakes. A brood of vipers. How dangerous is that? It is incredibly dangerous, especially back then. And what John the Baptist is saying is, you Sadducees, you Pharisees, you religious elites, you guys are dangerous. You guys, you know, you are protecting your, your own stuff, and you are ready to strike at anybody who tries to mess with the way that you do things. It's true. They are um, basically out there to keep the status quo, and here's what they do. Not only do they want to keep themselves lifted up higher than everyone else, they also take the judgment that they learned from the, the Bible, from the Word of God, the Torah back then, and then they have these 620-some commandments that they follow, and they take these commandments and they apply them not only to themselves, but they apply them to everybody else to Jewish people and to non-Jewish people, and they judge people. And they say, I'm so much better than you because I follow all the Torah. I follow all the Mishnah, which is another book of rules. I follow all these rules and commandments. And so they they look down upon everyone else because they are so much better than them. They cast judgment onto these people. And John's saying, you are so dangerous. Not only are you turning people away from the faith, you are preaching a faith that goes counter to the God of this universe. What you are doing is extremely dangerous. See, John had a heart for the people. John loved the people, and he wanted people to see repentance. They, he wanted them to uh, change and turn away from their old life and have a new life through God. He didn't really know all this stuff about Jesus yet, but he knew the Messiah was coming in and he wanted people to experience this. And so in verse 11, it says, I baptize you with water, but he who comes after me is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff. With unquenchable fire. Wow, powerful words, right? But remember what he said about the tree. You know, when the tree is dead, what do you do with it? You chop it down. There's no, no reason to keep a dead tree in your yard. In, in fact, this last summer, uh, we had a weeping willow tree that I had planted uh, the previous summer. And the weeping willow tree, for some reason, it died when we had that drought that was going on. Uh, this last summer. It wasn't a big drought, but it was enough to kill the tree. And I kept waiting for it to come back, kept waiting and waiting. And finally, uh, when it came to this fall, I'm like, you know what? This tree is not going anywhere. It's not coming back. So I took a shovel and I dug up this tree. And what did I do? I, I took it in my hands and I carried it over to our burn pile and we burned it. You know, this tree that I had so much hope for, I just took it over to the burn pile and there it was gone. It had so much potential. Uh, in fact, I, I bought it for my wife because I wanted it to be a tree that would endure um, long after that we were gone. And now it's gone into the fire because it died. And what God is saying through John is this. I don't have room in my kingdom for dead things. In fact, dead things can't be in my presence All of you who call yourself Christians or followers of God, but you're dead in your heart, I have no time for you. You know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were doing all the things that made them look like good followers of God. But God's like, I don't even know you. And we see this in Christianity today. We have so many people out there who who they look like they're playing the part. They look like good Christians, and they do all the right things, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, God's like, I don't even know who you are. I don't even know who you are. But here's the powerful thing. God gives transformation. God provides the ability for all of us to be transformed if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the one who came, the one who uh, we cleared the path of he says, "If you just believe in my Son Jesus Christ, if you repent of my sin or your sins, and and believe in Him, then you can be with Me forever." See, God yearns for us to repent. God yearns for us to experience this transformation in our lives. He does not want to see us dead. But here's the powerful thing as well: God can make what is dead alive. So, if you're a Christian who's just you know nominal, basically you're a Christian by name only, that doesn't mean you have to stay that way. God can resurrect you. God can bring you alive. He can make you have a saving faith. You don't have to stay this way. If you repent of your sins and turn from that way of living and honestly and earnestly seek after him, you can be saved as well. So today we're talking about a crisis of repentance. You know, what does it really mean to repent? What is repentance? I'm going to give you three lessons on repentance as I close up today. Number one, repentance is a gift. Repentance is a gift. Now, my Grandma Mary, I remember this, and I, I don't know if I'm making this up, but I remember this. She had this tiny little pocket knife. I mean, it was just maybe like this, and it had this tiny little blade, and she would take it out, uh, on Christmas morning, and when she opened up the present, she would slide it underneath the wrapping uh, paper and she would get the tape, you know. And then what she would do is she'd unwrap her present, and all the paper would be pristine. And she would take the paper and she'd fold it back up and she would put it away. Now, why in the world is she doing this? Why in the world is she doing this? It's because she wanted to save it, right? Now, as a parent, if my kids did that, Number one, they're not going to play with knife, maybe Parker or maybe Macy. But number one, I don't want them to do that. I, I want them to tear into the present. Have you ever seen a kid tear into a present? I mean, it's a furious unwrapping. It's so awesome to see that. And, and to me, as a parent who's giving the gift, that's what I want to see. I want to see them enjoy it, right? And that's what God wants to see with us as well. God gives us this gift of repentance. He says, you know what? I came through Jesus Christ, and I died so that you might live. And and you have this gift that is offered to you, and this gift is called repentance. And if you repent of your sins, you can be forgiven, and you are offered my grace, which is unmerited love. And all you have to do is just unwrap it and enjoy. Man, what a powerful thing. You know, our basement— our basement is full of gym equipment. Now, unlike the average American, we actually use this gym equipment. And this is not a knock on on Americans. I mean, you know, th- this is just statistics. Most people who have gym equipment, all they do is they put clothes on them or or their or, or their weights become just really heavy paperweights, right? Um, we use our gym equipment every single day. But so many people they don't. And what happens? Well, you just keep them over time they collect dust and nothing really ever happens. Right? But here's the thing, gym equipment, if you use it every single day, if you uh, run on the treadmill, if you lift weights, if you do a little bit of cardio, what you see is over time and gradually your health improves. You become um, more and more healthy. You see improved mental health. You see that your life begins to flourish. And you just have this positive attitude. I don't know how to explain it. Just this happiness. I, I love working out. It's just part of who I am. I just love doing it. But here's the thing. If our gym equipment just sat down there and didn't get used, none of that would happen has so much potential, but it has to be activated first. And repentance is the same way. God says, I'm here for you. I want you to confess your sins. I want you to say, you know what? I acknowledge this is going on in my life. I repent. I give it to you, God, and I want to turn from my ways. God yearns for us to repent. God wants us to turn from our old ways God wants us to experience new life I mean listen to this from second Peter chapter 3 verse 8 it says but do not forget this one thing dear friends with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day the Lord is not slow the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness instead he is patient with you listen to this not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. See, our God has given us this incredible gift. He says, if you just confess your sins to me and turn from your ways, you can be transformed. You can be renewed. You can go on to thrive and find life, purpose, and wholeness. And all you have to do is bring your sins before the throne of God. So repentance is a gift. Repentance is also needed for all. That's our second point. Repentance is needed for all. Uh, Timothy Keller, he's about the smartest guy you'll ever meet when it comes to Christianity. There's probably smarter guys out there, but Timothy Keller's one of the top tier guys, right? Um, He says this. He says, sin is a distortion and dislocation of the heart from its true center in God. That's pretty smart. That's pretty smart stuff. Now, for people who aren't as smart, just remember the way I describe sin, all right? Sin is basically, if you remember God's commands, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, sin is doing just the opposite. Sin is hating God, hating your neighbor. Sin is being indifferent to God, indifferent to your neighbor. Sin is not caring about God, not caring for your neighbor, or maybe you're just being lazy about all of it. I don't know. But sin is basically this. It's it's described as being out of relationship with God and neighbor. Sin is described as missing the mark. Sin is described as a debt that one owes to God. And you know what? All of these things lead to chaos. Lead to chaos in your life. Have you ever seen somebody who has dug themselves into a hole? Now, we see this all the time, especially when it comes to credit cards. Somebody will say, you know what? I just don't have the money. I'll just put it on a credit card. I, I don't have the funds this time, so I'll just put it on the credit card. Uh, I can't pay for Christmas, but you know what? I'll put it on the credit card, and I'll pay it off in, in six to nine months. And what ends up happening is you get deeper and deeper into debt. Now, here's what I do. I, I tend to have my words dig me into a hole. Um, I'm one of those guys who, you know, I start talking and somebody's like making the digging sign. You're like, oh man, Tim, just be quiet. You're done, Tim. And I want to, I want to say, wait, wait, no, this is what I really mean. Dig further down in, right? And the result is chaos when all I need to say is, you know what? I said that wrong. I'm sorry. Or or maybe um, that didn't come out the way I thought it would. Or maybe I'm just wrong. You know, if you can just name your sin right away, you don't have to keep digging. You can start digging yourself back out of the hole as well. Now, one of the clergy people that I was talking with as we were going through this, he said this. He's like, you know what? Nobody gets into a hole in their life by jumping in. You know, it's, it's not like you go to a graveyard and see a hole in the ground and you jump down into it and you're six feet underground. No, that doesn't happen in life. Everybody gets into a hole one step at a time, one shovel load at a time. And if you walk into sin, then you can also walk out of sin. You're not going to be able to jump out of sin. You know, nobody can jump six feet out of the ground, right? When we walk into sin, we have to walk out of sin as well. And sin requires a price, sin requires a penalty. And frankly, that penalty and that price, that debt that we owe to other people and to God, is far too high for any of us to pay. So repentance and forgiveness is needed, but how? And that leads us to our final point. When repentance is true, relationship is restored through the blood of Jesus Christ. When repentance is true, relationships are restored through the blood of Christ. Now, um, I can't claim this because this was actually another clergy person who said this, um, but man, these words are so true. He said this, You bury it, God will resurrect it. You resurrect it, and God will bury it. All right, that's, that's pretty deep. Let me put this in another term. Let's talk about an alcoholic. An alcoholic tries to bury the fact that they're drinking in the car before they get to work. An alcoholic tries to hide the fact that every time they stop drinking, their hand starts trembling. So they drink a little bit more. And what ends up happening is that sin becomes resurrected. People start to see it, right? But what happens if that same alcoholic says, you know what? I've got a problem. I've got to deal with this what happens is that eventually you start to bury that sin and it's gone forever. Proverbs 28 verse 13 through 14 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. See, when repentance is true, relationship is restored by the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's the ultimate truth. If we confess our sin before God our Father, through the blood of Jesus Christ, God will forgive us. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you have done, none of us has done anything so badly that God will not forgive us. God wants us to come to Him. God yearns for us to ask for forgiveness, to turn from our ways, just like a parent wants their kid to confess their sins. Have you ever, as a parent, have you ever had a kid come up to you and say, you know what, Dad, I really messed up this time, and I just wanted to tell you before you found out? You know how excited we are as parents when our kid comes to us first and says, you know what, I messed up, Dad, I'm sorry. You know how awful it is when you have to find out, and you go to your kid and then they lie about it? And they say, no, 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 that, that that didn't happen. And you know it did. And then you have to force them to say they're sorry. See, God yearns for us to say, you know what? I messed up. I, I'm, I'm going the wrong way, God. I need to turn from my sins. I need to follow you again. Now, if we can do that, Number one, it takes an incredible amount of courage to acknowledge your sin before God and even to acknowledge it before others. And just as a side note, a pastor is a wonderful person to share your deepest, darkest sins to. It's not like I I want to hear everybody's sins, but I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes we just need to tell others because that helps us to be accountable. But here's what happens. when When you let go of your sins when you release them to god and you confess them out loud that sin no longer has power over you that sin is gone i mean it's still there but the power that it once had to kind of leech on to you is now gone and then you can move on to the next phase which is transformation you know matthew chapter 3 verse 8 was part of our scripture today and it says Produced fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance, if you truly do repent, it leads toward transformation. And what transformation is, is when your heart and your mind begin to be changed from the inside, then outward things start to happen as well. Your behavior changes, and your character changes, and even your attitude toward life begins to change. For example um parker and i were working on a fan we were putting up a ceiling fan in his room and i had parker um, screwing in the screws for the fan blades and such and um, as he's doing this one of the screws fell into the the fan itself and you hear the clank 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 as it goes in the motor area and i'm like oh my gosh this is gonna be hard to get that thing out all right anybody who's worked on a, a ceiling fan before you know now when a when a screw goes in there it's difficult to get it out now the tim that existed you know five to ten years ago i would have swore i would have said some nasty words and i would have said okay parker you are done you are not allowed to help me out anymore but you know what i did and i i, I wasn't i wasn't trying to be dad of the year or anything like that i said all right let's figure out how to get that out let's work on this i wasn't mad i didn't have swear words coming into my head I was just calm and relaxed, and, and afterward, I'm like, wow, that was pretty cool. How did that happen? It happened because each and every day, I'm in the Word. And, and I, I try to live my life as one who is presentable, a good example of Jesus Christ's love. See, transformation is playing the long game. Financial experts will tell you all about this. They say, you know, it's it's better if you invest a small amount regularly uh, all of your life rather than waiting until you're older and invest in a whole lot all at once. You know, the long game yields better results in the end. And all those small things that you do each and every day, they compound until one day you hit your goal. Um. One pastor put it like this. He says, you know, before I go to bed every night, I say, Lord, help me to be a better Christian tomorrow than I was today. He went on to say, you know, as he pastors churches, he tells the churches that each year we can expect a six degree change if we really work hard. And he's like, that's not a lot. But think about this, a six degree change. You're like this and then you're like that. After about five years, that six-degree change becomes a 30-degree change. And that's something, right? And you you keep on going down the road, and and that becomes a huge change for that church. And, And that's the same way it is with us. We should all strive to be just a little bit better than we were yesterday. And it all begins with repentance. Finding the areas in your life that you struggle with the sins in your life that you just deal with and you give them to God and you say, God, I cannot do this anymore. I need your help. So my question is this, what in your life do you need to repent of today? What long-term goals do you have? What kind of person do you want to be five years from now? Maybe it's you want to give up swearing. Maybe you want to give up negativity or anger or anxiety or doubt. The best time to start is right now. Know your goal. God is anxiously waiting for you to repent. Repentance is a gift, and it's the first step in transformation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, each one of us has a sin in our lives that separates us from you and it separates us from others. Lord, we ask that you will just take this time and pull that sin out of us. Help us to acknowledge where we fall short. And now, Lord, we give this sin to you. We nail it to the cross. We know that through the power of Jesus Christ's blood, we are forgiven. We confess, Lord, that we are not good, and you are. We accept the free gift that you have given of transformation, of forgiveness, and peace. And so, Lord, we give this sin over to you so that we can live for you each and every day. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ.